2: It was less than two hours ago, but already the full stories have been written. I'm looking by way of illustration at the Washington Post. Dateline, Van Horn, Texas. Jeff Bezos rocketed past the edge of space Tuesday, launching from the improbable spaceport that he has built in the West Texas desert and fulfilling the lifelong dream of a diehard Trekkie who was transfixed by the Apollo 11 moon landing and has pledged to use his fortune to open space for the masses. Robert Perlman is a accomplished journalist in the area of space. He's a journalist and space historian, the editor of Collect Space. He's done a lot of things, including serve as a consultant for any number of television programs and movies that address the subject of space exploration. Uh, Rob, thank you so much for being here. This is a big day for you, huh?
3: It is. It, uh It was pretty exciting to watch uh, what has been a long-awaited milestone in commercial spaceflight.
2: So, just so you know who you are dealing with, I am such a knucklehead on these matters. And my excuse, by the way, is I had to have the sound muted because I was on radio air watching television monitors. But when the booster landed, I got excited thinking that Bezos and crew were already safely back on Earth. (laughs)
3: Yeah, their vehicle is designed so that both the rocket and the capsule both return to Earth. The capsule later under parachutes, as you saw, um, but it allows them to reuse both parts over and over again, uh, which should lead to um, some economic savings that'll be passed on to the passengers.
2: It seemed flawless. Were there any were there any issues as far as you know?
3: As far as we know, no. It seemed to be a, a flawless flight. They reached uh, their desired altitude, which was just about five miles above the what's called the, the Kármán line. It's um, 62 miles or 100 kilometers above the Earth, which is what the international community recognizes as the boundary between Earth and space.
2: I remember talking about this just nine days ago because when Branson made his launch, people were debating whether he'd really been in space.
3: So there is another demarcation at uh, 50 miles or 80 kilometers. That was decided by the U.S. Air Force back in the uh, late 1950s um, as they were trying to decide basically what was the altitude that um, satellites or spacecraft could fly over without needing flyover rights um, over any other country. And so they came up with 50 miles as their demarcation. As it turns out, science the science we now have, the data we have about where, we, where an aircraft stops operating like an aircraft and needs to start operating like a spacecraft – is closer to the 80-kilometer than the 100-kilometer Carmen uh, line. And so this will get settled out as the years go by, but I would say both of them, Branson and uh, and Bezos, um, entered space.
2: I've had uh, some callers who've thrown shade on all three of the billionaires with their their space exploration, and I've said, lacking your expertise and knowledge, I've said, isn't it a good thing that they're doing what the government otherwise perhaps wouldn't be doing in other words they're doing a public service a public mitzvah of sorts by channeling their funds in this direction what what should i have said what would your answer to that question be
3: well i would say that these all three of them and others grew up in an era of the apollo program what that that had the great promise of not just landing humans on the moon that but that all of us would be able to follow in the years to the years to come and that just didn't come about. And so a um, spaceflight holds a lot of promise, for not just um, people leaving the planet, but for improving life here on Earth has been demonstrated by the research being done on the International Space Station and by NASA and other world space agencies. What Jeff Bezos has said about his own ambitions here is uh, following in the steps of someone named uh, Gerald O'Neill, who proposed that. Um, saving the planet might be one option, but a better option would be to create a whole new planet, um, an artificial planet, uh, where we would eventually live. Of course, that's very, very far off in the future, but it has to start somewhere, and that's where these, uh, these entrepreneurs are, are, are taking the lead. And that's really how it's been with every type of major uh, form of transportation, if you look at trains and cars and planes and everything else. Either it's private invention, and then the government steps in, and then it goes back to commercial, or um, commercial entrepreneurs take up the lead from the start.
2: Oliver Damon was the 18-year-old aboard, so this this flight had the youngest and the oldest, Wally Funk, at 82, uh, ever to enter space. I think I said that properly. So... His seat, the Damon seat, was the seat. help me with this the seat that was auctioned and sold for twenty five million dollars, and then whomever purchased that said that they had a scheduling conflict
3: yeah twenty eight million dollars twenty eight pardon go, all all was was to go to charity and and okay. has, they've awarded now nineteen million of it um and uh they um yeah the the auction winner who we still don't know the identity of apparently had some type of conflict conflict. called There are other reasons why, I mean, we could speculate, you could speculate that everyone who went on this flight had to go through a metal, medical check, mm-hmm. whether, you know, it's pure speculation, but whether in the process of doing something like that, a uh, serious ailment was discovered or if there might, there could be other valid reasons why they couldn't fly on this first flight. Um, the, the person who did Oliver Damon, he, he and his father, uh were bidding on the, uh, in the same auction but said to have dropped off before the heated um, bidding went back and forth. But Blue Origin had said that they were going to contact all the bidders and offer them seats on later flights. And so Oliver had already purchased or his father had already purchased a flight for him on a later flight. And, um, and, and then Blue Origin called and said, are you available? And, st- and he stepped in.
2: Do we know what his father paid for him to be aboard?
3: We don't. Uh, Blue Origin is keeping that uh, confidential right now. In fact, we don't know at all what Blue Origin plans to uh, charge for their seats. Um, they said today that if you're interested and you're seriously interested to email them and they will talk to you, but um, they have not publicly advertised a, a per seat cost. I
2: had read, Rob, that with regard to Branson, the number would be for Virgin Galactic in the near future, $250,000.
3: So when Virgin Galactic started selling tickets a, a couple of years ago, a number of years ago, they, they asked for $200,000 per ticket, and you can make a, a deposit for $10,000, and then that would hold your reservation. They increased that to $250,000, and then they cut off ticket sales at around 700 people um, as they went into final preparations. The first flight of their vehicle, commercial flights of their vehicle, which are going to begin next year um, with paying passengers, are expected to be even more than that as they sell a, a a premium for being on those first flights, but it should be in the two hundred fifty to three hundred fifty thousand dollar range, as we understand it. Um, so, it's
2: a yeah. Well, I complex. guess my question is where where do you see this going? Is is it conceivable that in the next ten years, a lot of zeros get dropped from those prices and that it becomes approachable for some Americans?
3: If uh, if if the companies Plans hold true, and they want to get up to about flying three thousand people per year on multiple vehicles. Then yes, what they're looking at is maybe after a decade it, it drops from two hundred fifty thousand dollars to twenty five thousand dollars, and then a decade after that it drops down into the neighborhood range of like twenty five hundred, where you're talking about the about the same price as a first class ticket, or taking a family of four on a deluxe like week long vacation to Walt Disney World. And that's when it starts to become within the range of people. Now, regular, everyday people. Of course, before that, there's going to be other opportunities. There are already talks about, um, well, well, Richard Branson announced that he's giving away two seats through a raffle that he wants to continually offer through um, over and over again. Uh, There have been proposals for game shows where you could go on and win a flight to space. And so instead of a, you know, your brand new car, your trip to space. Um, And so... Uh, there will be opportunities for people who cannot afford it to um, to at least compete for a chance to fly on board. But it may be another 20 years before it gets within the reach of, of, of anyone who could, who could, who could afford a, a vacation or fly first class.
2: Do Bezos, by the way, thank you for being so gracious with your time on, on what I know is a very big day for you. Do Bezos, Musk, and Branson have the same objectives i with my superficial knowledge and interest in this to me it seemed that musk wanted to get to mars and the other two are more interested in civilian space travel but you're the expert tell me
3: so all three have slightly different objectives or actually varying Um, you're correct about elon musk he wants to send people to mars He's, he went directly into orbital flight. He's flying NASA astronauts to the International Space Station with SpaceX. And his new vehicle is designed to take NASA astronauts and others to the moon and then onto Mars. Um, he is not doing suborbital space flights. He is doing tourism, but it is uh, into Earth orbit, and that's a level of magnitude greater. So a perceived cost of about $55 million. Um, Richard Branson is solely dedicated to the idea of Uh, Of space tourism uh, and suborbital research, so it's up and down hops, although that might someday translate to up and down hops where you take off in one place and land in another, and because of the uh, trajectory and the height that you're reaching, you might be able to fly from New York to, say, London in 45 minutes, and so that opens up a different business. Um, Jeff Bezos, Bezos and Blue Origin are also looking at the suborbital uh, market uh, for space tourism, as we saw today, but then wants to also fly orbital flights in competition with Elon Musk and go onto the moon with their um, uh, blue moon lander.
2: Pardon my cynic gene, but is it possible that Branson and Bezos cut a deal where Branson would go first? Because to my uh, lay eye, Branson's flight looks less spectacular when viewed with what Bezos did today.
3: I don't think that was possible. Um, It was a coincidence that both came, both companies came to be ready to fly within FAA guidelines and licenses within the same month, month. Um, There was obviously some one-upmanship in terms of uh, scheduling when exactly they would fly because they have some leeway in that. Um, but the two companies have two very different approaches, you're right. Uh, the um, uh, Virgin Galactic Branson approach is a, is a space plane um, that uh, takes off from altitude under a mothership and then flies into space. The whole flight time is about an hour, uh, whereas uh, 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 Jeff Bezos's Blue Origin trip is a, rock, a real rocket ride, uh, 10 to 12 minutes in length, um, and then you're done. Um, both offer advantages and disadvantages. You actually uh, pull more Gs or more times the force of gravity on your body on Branson's Virgin Galactic Spaceship 2 than you do on uh, Bezos' New Shepard uh, rocket. And so uh, the rocket ride may be more powering, but it's less stressful, whereas the space plane is uh, a little more stressful on your body and more relaxing over the long run.
2: And finally, Robert Perlman, and again, thank you for being uh, such a willing participant, editor of Collect Space. The, the shape, pardon me for this, but the shape of Bezos Rocket. Pure marketing <laughs> genius, right?
3: Uh, yeah, when we first saw that um, uh, num- uh, you know, five, six years ago, there were a lot of jokes passed back and forth. Um, you know, it's form over function or, or function over form in this case. Um, where, you know, if it works, it works and it gets people to space up and down safely. Then the look of it is probably the least, uh, the least of the concern.
2: I mean, if, if you put that on a t-shirt, a kid would be sent home from school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: that, that, that's sort of why they, 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 they uh, fall back on their feather design, their feather logo.
2: Right. Um, right. Exactly. I saw the feather on t-shirt. Yes. Yeah. Cause they can't do the rocket. Uh, all right, man, that was terrific. Did any but one last thing? Did anything surprise you today with your knowledge that you know that that you didn't see coming?
3: Um, I, I don't think there was anything that was completely out of the out of the blue because I because we watched fifteen of these flights take off and land before.
2: Right.
3: Um, I think what was what was new this time was the excitement from the crew itself and being able to hear from them live as they were in space. Didn't get to see them, but we got to hear uh, Jeff and Mark, his brother, um, and Wally Funk and, and Oliver Damon express their sheer, uh, you know, enthusiasm for the flight as it as it is. I think the, the best part of this whole thing has been watching, in some ways, Wally Funk flying. Um, this was a woman that was uh, who who vied to fly at the time of the Mercury astronauts, and because she was a woman and others like her turned down because we weren't accepting uh people without jet uh pilot experience and the military wasn't accepting women at that time and so to be able to see her fly and finally reach her dream um at oh, that's 80 great years of age, oh my
2: god fabulous yeah. yeah fabulous part of the story all right rob perlman well done thank you so so much i really appreciate it
3: my pleasure thanks for having me
2: Don't know why I just thought of David Letterman. Like, Wally Funk seems to me the perfect Letterman guest. If Letterman were still doing his late-night show... Ladies and gentlemen, I could just see him introducing Wally Funk coming out in her, I just, her blue I, uniform. I love
4: the name. I love everything about it. I was gonna scold you for asking him about the shape of Bezos' rocket, but actually it was a it was a measured question and a yeah. decent and an interesting response. And, so now I'm giving you a pass. And 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 it
2: elicited from him very interesting logo information, right. which is that's why they go with <laughs> the, the feather.
4: feather. Because they can't put the rocket on the shirt. Cannot put the rocket on the shirt. So now I, I'm glad that you asked because I was kind of wondering about the feather. Now, I am. I thought he was terrific. Boy, what a depth of knowledge he has about all of this. Yeah, it's his, thing. Interesting it's, to his it's like his Super, Super Bowl Sunday. Interesting about Branson as well to compare the two. No, that was fa- fantastic. So interesting.
1: The Smirkanish Podcast for independent minds. Listen to Michael Smirkanish live. Weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124 or anytime on the SXM app.
4: Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com.
1: Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection. The lightest ever shoes from Alberts, now in fresh colors.